Hi, Mom. <laughs> I don't know if she's allowed to hear this part, but one time when I was in Mexico, so, okay, see, some of you have been to Mexico, and you know that the country was built for Americans to make mistakes in. So I went to Mexico once, but I was there as a youth pastor, and I told my wife ahead of time, I want to buy a guitar that was handmade in Mexico, and she's like, how much does that cost? And I was like, it's in pesos. It doesn't even count. But I, I also had a group of about 30 teenagers um, filled with all kinds of, you know, you remember what it was like to be a teenager? If you're a teenager now, I swear it gets a little better at least. But, you know, there's awkward sweating constantly happening and hormones. And I had to take all of those, those teens and this new guitar that I had bought and get them onto a bus in the middle of Mexico City. And the bus system at the end, like during the day, is a normal what you'd expect bus system. But when you're on the last bus of the night, and at the time, the most densely populated area in the world there aren't rooms for large gringos with guitars on said bus. But I, I came up with this system because in a Wesley Snipes movie, I saw him catch a knife in midair, like by clapping it in midair, and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do to this bus. And I got all the teens on board because I heard parents frown on not getting their children to return from Mexico. And I'm like, whatever. So, but I got them on. And I'm literally pushing people on, and my wife turns around because she was head counter on the trip, just constantly making sure we had all the kids that we brought back with us. And the bus started to leave, and we were one youth pastor short of the count. And she said, Tom, get on. I was like, tell the kids to move in. She's like, no mas, there is no way. See, we picked up a language while we were there. There was no room for me, and I said, oh, yes, there is. And I did this move I want to teach you. It's I like, kind of like took this leg and I like shimmied in and I was like, pardon. And I got myself on. You're welcome for this section. <laughs> we should have tithed after Scott because, hello. <laughs> and I literally had a guitar on my shoulder and then I clapped on to a well-made mass transit in Mexico window. And that thing shook. And now you think our roads are bad in Detroit. I don't, I don't know if they fixed the roads in Mexico City since the conquistadors, okay? So I am like literally, it became a, a game called How's Tom? Because <laughs> instead of going, ow, the pothole, pothole. <laughs> I think we just landed part of the way in China. Uh, and it became, is Tom still on the bus? And I was like, I'm here. <laughs> so I'm just holding on. And you want to know what was going through my mind? I can't wait to go back to America and tell the story of how I'm about to die. No, that wasn't what was going through my mind. You want to know what was going through my mind? I'll give you the G-rated version. Ah! <laughs> oh my gosh, I was scared to death. But I couldn't, because I also have to be a pastor, and I was in front of Impressionables, you know, youth, and they're trying to figure things out, and there's like, I'm sure somebody, listen, this is real. Someone was holding a live chicken on the bus, and I, one of my teens was like within pecking distance of the chicken. They weren't worried about Tom. I was just like, just be glad you have a floor. Because I'm literally like, wait, it's amazing. Now, I learned something on that trip, and that's, this is not even half of how crazy my life is going to get, of just going down. Because now, 
I, I, I wish that was like the craziest moment of my life, but now I live with all women, okay? I even have a girl dog. It's not fair. Sometimes I watch a Sylvester Stallone movie just so I feel like I'm not alone. I'm like, I need to see some glistening abs. I need something in my life to kind of step me up. And I, I, I'm going to tell you guys a story. It's one of those stories that I've gone to for years for inspiration. And I think I've gotten the story wrong most of my life. I, I was sitting at a party one time. You learn from your experiences. One is get on the bus earlier. Don't wait for the last line when in Mexico City. But I've learned something else. You can get on the bus too late in life. Because eventually, eventually, got really Baptist here for a second. Eventually, we're all going to die. It's not a Baptist sermon unless somebody talks about death. I, <laughs> that's what I grew up with. Like, these people are obsessed. You should wear more black. I was at a party one time, and I saw a senior pastor across the room. Now, now it's not a problem, but I used to be a worship leader full time. And what... What if you if you're a worship leader you would you would know this, but you got to steer clear of senior pastors because most senior pastors think they're just one good worship leader away from having a mega church, and I mean they just they will look at you with these Christian lusty eyes, and I'm like I steer clear of senior pastors. In fact, I believe this so much that I avoided the first meeting with Pastor Scott Blanchard because when I was in between churches, we shall call it. And I led worship. I didn't know that y'all had it locked down with Heather here. I thought my friend Kenny said, hey, let's go. I want you to go meet Pastor Scott. And I said, I will not go meet a senior pastor right now because that dude's going to flirt with me and try to get me to come lead worship at his church. And no. And then he offered me tacos. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> no tacos were involved. Anyways, I see this lead pastor across, and, and he, he gets a smile on his face because somebody whispered in his ear, and I was like, oh, no. And he walks across to me, and he, he just wants to shoot the breeze with me. He's, he ends up being this amazing man of God who has gone through it in his life. And we're having this conversation, and he asks me a question that has, that has stuck with me. So he says, Tom, how do you answer the question, how long does it take you to write a sermon, or how long... Does it take you, because we get this question a lot, people are just mystified by what we have like occupying us in our offices. And he said, well, how do you answer that question? Like, and I was like, well, you know, I tell about research. And he said, wrong answer. I'm like, yes, sir. And this pastor, he just starts dropping wisdom bombs on me. Like, have you ever thought about this? You're like, have you ever thought about this? What about this? You know, for the rest of your life, boom, boom. And I'm like, no, sir, no, sir, I'm not smart. I don't. I don't belong here. And he says, no, here's how, you, here's how you answer this question. Whenever anybody asks you, how long does it take you to write a sermon? How long does it take you to write a worship set? I answer this way, Tom. I'm going to let you have this one for free. And I'm like, are we tithing? And he said, I'm going to let you have this one for free. It took me my whole life to write that sermon. I'm like, nice. I just got a free one out of every time I get that. And I was like, okay, but what do you mean by that? Every experience that I have, everything that I've gone through, everything that I've endured, every painful situation I've sat in a room for. Have you ever gone through, been with somebody who's gone through the most traumatic moment of their life and you walk into the room and the oxygen is different in the room. It's, the trauma is practically painted on the walls. Someone dropped a grenade in their relationship in their life and you sat in that room. 
you bring that into every sermon you've ever had. And today, I want to bring a sermon to you that cost me all the peace in my life to learn this. It cost me something to know this truth. It cost me everything that I thought was important. And I, I want to tell you about David and Goliath. And uh, some of you, I'm concerned of giving this sermon because you just went through a Bible study. Some of the ladies in this room just did a whole Bible study on David and Goliath. And uh, Louis Giglio was the teacher of said study. And I am just never going to be, Louis Giglio is like the coolest preacher I've ever heard in my life. I'm not going to be Louis but I'm going to filter this through a bit of Tom's life. I will tell you, all of us have giants in our lives, and those giants, though defeated, still have the ability to try to take us down. And my main point, if I may give it to you today, is be faithful in the process in your life. Be faithful in the process. And another point I want to say Quit trying to kill the giant. Send the shepherd instead. Send the shepherd. I want to pray. God, may we not lose you today. You are faithful. Oh, people let us down. Heck, we let people down. But you have never failed. Your love has never failed. People have failed. We thought you've set things free before. We thought we've seen giants slain before, but we've seen addiction come back up and claim our children. But you have never failed. May you help us redefine what victory is today and that you, God, have come to break chains off of us that are being held onto by long-dead giants. May we be faithful in the process that you have us in today, God, that we experience a layer of freedom that is beyond our measurement, and our dreams. It's in your name we all pray. Amen. First Samuel, this was written by a prophet who was trying to turn a country around. The problem is, is there isn't a uh, make Israel great again kind of, country, kind of preaching going on because they've never been good enough. They've been enslaved when they tried to get it right. Every time they tried to have solved their own problems, it's only gotten worse. And one guy stands up, and they start begging and say, can we have a king? Can we have a king? Can we have a king? And Daniel says, the Lord has told us that we do not need a king. We only need God. And then they acted like your basics and started saying, "Now nah, we want a king. We need one of those. God says, all right. And then they pick Saul. And I just want to tell you, Saul is not great at his job, but he is dapper as all get out, okay? He's a good-looking fella. He's very large, but he's not giant large. And this is what happens, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp, and he was over nine feet tall. Some of you are going to zone out during these measurements, so I just, I just want to help you out a little bit. In the Bible, when they start using ridiculous things, they're ridiculous because I'm American, and anything that's not in the imperial system, I judge. You do too. Don't even, when somebody says millimeters, you're like, well, come on. Give me some inches, pal. All right. <clears throat> so just measure it, and like whenever you see like 13 shekels, just 
measure them in third graders or something, okay? Whatever, whatever you need. So he, he, wore, he had a bronze helmet and a head of coat of scale of armor, bronze weighing 5,000 kindergartners, 5,000 shekels. And on his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin, and he slung it onto his back. His spear was like a weaver's rod, right? And its iron point weighed 600 shekels, at least one full one full LP kids class, okay? His shield bearer went ahead of him, and Goliath stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul, king who's failing right now? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said this day, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. <laughs> A giant comes out and says, I defy your country and your God. And they chose fear. Now that's cute because we all know the end of the story. Spoiler alert, this dude is going down. He's going down in a big way. He's going down in a way in which David takes his head and turns it into a big fleshy puppet. All right, we know. So we feel really good about that. Right? Please nod your head and say, yep, glad he's going down. The problem is, is this is a few thousand years ago, and you've got real giants looking you dead in the eye. And for some of you, you're sitting in this room, and you believe that not only is there no God, but the Christians have already failed you. And I have real things going in my heart and in my life, and some preppy little guy who wants to come up and give me a sermon, and he wants to wrap up and fix my life in 40 minutes. The clock is going down faster than that in another 25 minutes. You're fixing nothing, Tom. And my answer is, you're right. If you want a good buck-up sermon, I could motivate you. I'd make a wonderful halftime coach if that was my only job, was getting people bucked up. But some of you, your bucker is busted. You have tried to choose being thankful and you have been faithful before, and you have gotten bitten in the hiney for it. And some of you, you've grown up in church your whole life, and you remember this message from camp, right? Some guy, some well-meaning dude got up and was like, there's a giant in your life. And then he picked like the smallest dude in the group, and he's like, look at this guy, little Jimmy. And then look at this football player, Jock. He could take him out, and God will do that for you too. And then everybody dedicates their life to Jesus. Everybody's crying and going home, and... You know, camp, that just let me sum up camp for you. That's what happens is usually there's a big cry night, and we're like, we can all kill Goliath. It's fine. Lord's with us. Slingshots. Let's go get one. <laughs> I remember there was a time in my life where I thought if I just prayed enough, if I was just faithful enough, if I just endured enough, then God will, God will kill all the giants. The problem is, is that I was looking at it like God owed me something. If you're this faithful you will see this many results. If you believe this much, if you dedicate your life to Jesus like every single year, if you finally stop struggling with every man here, we're going to not make eye contact for a second, but 
Dude, every guy I've ever known has struggled with some level of lust. <laughs> some level of lust. You know what I'm saying. Every guy in here. And the things that you remember back in camp that you were struggling with when you were 12, 13, 11, let's be honest, 13, 13, 13, when you were dealing with those ages, you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s now, and you're still dealing with the same giants. And you're like, but I've already promised God that I would stop and that I would change. And then he keeps on coming. The giant still keeps getting up. What do I need? Oh, gosh. You not need to stop thinking that you're the shepherd in the story. And I am not the um, example to you of a man who has killed and walked over and chopped the heads off my giants. I'm a man who is believing right next to you, Jesus. There's a chipmunk lady gaga ringtone happening. And if I move on for the rest of my day and don't acknowledge that, <laughs> I'm going to be off. <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I don't even need to preach anymore. I just want to recreate that moment. Oh, you're so fine. David has an interesting life. He, um, as a young boy, Samuel, the guy who wrote this book, anointed his head with oil, and he was told that he was going to be king someday. He was the youngest of a rowdy bunch of warriors, and he had the job of taking care of sheep. Verse 14, David was the youngest, the three oldest. They followed Saul out to battle, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Verse 17, now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain, it's bread, and these 10 loaves of other bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses. I just wanted to mention the importance of cheese in the Bible. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flood. Now, I just told you, I just told you that this kid was anointed king. And he's not acting like it. You know what he's doing? He's doing what his dad told him to do because David knew it's not about what's promised to me. It's about where I'm at right now. Some of us are so fixated on where we think we should be in our lives right now that we live somewhere off in the future or in a dream or from a robbed dream that someone has taken from you. But you forget that somebody needs to be fed in front of you right now, and David doesn't forgive it. He doesn't print out business cards like I'd be doing, king elect, right? I'd have that all over it. I'd have my own Facebook fan page started up and being like, listen up, Israelites. I'm taking over for Saul. But no, David continues to be faithful in the process. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd. He moves on. And he realizes, I can't be a shepherd right now. I'm going to make sure somebody's taking care of it. He's not like, here's my chance. No, he's just giving some good Jimmy John style, freaky fast cheese delivery here. 
Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, and he loaded up, and he set out as Jesse had directed. He's listening to his dad in the moment. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. War cry? Why are you still shouting a war cry? You just got called out, and you were scared. I read earlier. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Maybe Goliath is ill today. Maybe he won't come out and yell. Nope, here he comes. David left his thing with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. And as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. This is the key moment in the story. You see, somebody who knew of God's greatness and his worthiness to be prayed heard this mocking. David was listening. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran with him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, you see how this man, he keeps coming out, and he comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll give his daughter away in marriage. You're going to be tax-exempt for the rest of your life. Hello? No more taxes? Get me my gat. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take somebody out. No. Everybody's afraid. And their God is being taunted, and nothing matters. Now, I was told recently that I have a choice to make. And I... And I have a choice to make in my life, and I choose to make that choice right here in front of you now. I get a little uh, feisty. In fact, I've confessed to some of you that I do battle this thing called depression, anxiety. I have waves of fear that come running over me. But I also have a wee bit of a temper because it, it, it came out the most one time my Church, when I was a youth pastor, hey, I'll show you the video someday before you fire me. Um, they were arguing. They, they were arguing over whether or not our church should have pews or chairs. I know. A real divided, it's what's dividing America right now, right? No. It was where their butts were going to go. Now, at the same time, we had people coming in and out of the building and they were being ignored as visitors because we were having meetings about pews. And I got upset. Because I will, I will gladly tell you this now. I believe in Jesus Christ and that every single one of you, this is a real statistic that I read out about the other way, 100%, that's one for one, all of us are going to die someday, and I want every single person to hear that there is a God, his name is Jesus, and he is madly in love with you. And I don't care where we sit while we talk about it. So I did the thing that any calm, good-natured, red Galatians, do everything gently, Christian would do, and I broke a chair in front of everybody, and then I sawed a freaking pew in half. And I played the Home Improvement theme song while I did it. Because I don't care about pews or chairs. I just wanted to talk about Jesus. And I got the loveliest letter from somebody in the church who was very upset 
because I did it on video too, because I really wanted to have a moment where I could just giggle while doing it. And I mean, I taunted the pew while I was cutting it in half because I'd never used a power tool before in my life. In fact, it wasn't even a chainsaw, it was a circular saw. Someone had to clarify that with me afterwards. I was like, I need a cutty thing. And I yelled, but daddy, no one will ever sit there for VBS this year. <laughs> I was cold. I wouldn't do it again, but it is fun to talk about to me. Some of you were like, that's, that's, that's disrespectful. I, hey, man, if heaven and hell are on the line and we're going to talk about pews, you can chase me out of that church. <laughs> they didn't. They liked me. They loved me. And they still <laughs> encourage me to this day never to do that again. But they got the point. Don't mess with me, man. I will cut your seat in half. <laughs> Somebody wrote a letter and said, Recently, there was a film shown in our church, and I did not approve of it. And I was like, what kind of film did you think I showed? <laughs> like, what are we talking about right now? And I get angry when we get off target because I feel like, I feel like we are so easily distracted from the main point. And we just come out of Thanksgiving, and I'm like, do you know that there's, do you know that we have an epidemic of suicide right here in Macomb County? And do you know that fentanyl is killing our kids faster than AIDS has ever had an epidemic sweet? And it's killing us. I celebrated in remembrance the anniversary of one of my good friends, Kevin. It was two years ago that he died of an overdose. My friend Matt before that. But here we are, talking about pews. I will tell you, my friends, I believe that there is an urgency of the gospel. And when we start talking about things that just don't matter in comparison to that gospel, I get unhealthily upset. My counselor told me, and I said, what do I do with this sense of urgency to tell more people? And he said, well, you have a decision to make. You either let that part of you die and blend in, and you just make a healthy church and you hope for the next generation to do it. Or you double down and you see where that takes you. I'm terrible at betting, so I double down. I, my friends, we are at a war right now and there is a giant saying, I defy you to show me anything different. And here's the thing. We are in a room of people right now where you and I both know that the head of every giant that is facing you and I down today has already been taken out. But we are living in fear of it. We need, we need to knock it off. Because here's what I know. You have been through something in your life. You have been through something in your life. And so did David. So did David. I want to keep on moving here. David hears it. He's trying to process everything that just happened. When the Israelites saw the man, verse 24, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran and hid in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, you see how this man keeps on coming out? He comes out to defy Israel, and the king will give great wealth to the man. I want to skip down. Verse 27. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 26. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? 
It's a very insensitive term, disgrace. Okay. Who is this? This is why I like David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Why you got to go there, David? I, <laughs> I just want to call him out. Who is this guy with the... And they would not defy the armies of the living God. Verse 27, so they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done to the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, see the older and wiser brother, heard him speaking with the men, and he burned with anger and asked, and Adam, and he asked, why have you even come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I'm the kind of guy that if you interrupt a vision with questions about sheep, I will get sassy back to you. I want to talk about what matters most. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch a battle. Now, you and I both know that that's nonsense. It's about to get real. But some of you have voices who have access to your life that every time that you dare open up about a dream, you are called arrogant. Every time you dare speak that we can go beyond where our family currently is, beyond where our church currently is, you are said, but don't forget about the sheep because they will be angry. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? All oh, you little brothers out there, you know that line. Hey, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. He then turned away to someone else. He changed his audience. Haters, to the back of the line. I'm going to a new circle. And the men answered him before. Verse 31, what David said was overheard. And reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, With a logical question here, or with a logical point, You are not able to go. Nobody, nobody who has the audacity to dream out loud has lived their life without hearing those lines. You're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. Uh, you're retired. You're not rich. If you're rich, then you would, okay, I get it. You're not a doctor. How can you help sick people? Uh, no, 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 no. You're only a, I'm going to title you and I'm going to label you. And you've been living under this label for too long. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, this is where it gets awesome. <laughs> Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Ooh. But when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David just puts down the dopest business card you can. My name is David, son of Jesse, lion killer. Yeah. Can I just give you the quick process of David's lion killing? Because it makes zero sense for what I learned in Mexico Nada. 
Senso, I don't know what the sense word is. You did what now? Okay, go, go back with me. Verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear, you know, either or, it just depends on the day, came and carried off a sheep from his flock, I went after it. Let me tell you, quick tip on lions. Don't chase them. And he does. And I seized it by its hair. You did what now? You Listen, I, I have a Chihuahua Pomeranian dog mix. I can't seize that by its anything without getting bit. And he's just grabbing lions. You seized it by its hair. Let's not just jump over what he just said, okay? I, I, I need you, like, this is more of a visual thing, so I want you to all go to the movies with me real quick. A lot of you have kids. So you, the movies are this thing we used to go to when we were younger, and they had big pictures and cool sound. And I know and everything is YouTube and cartoons now, but... Like, go back to me. I'm going to take you to the theater real quick. The THX surround sound just comes on. And you're like, oh, it's going to get awesome. And you hear a lion roaring in the distance. And it's a calm day in the fields of Bethlehem, save for that sound. And then you see a staff and a sling and a few stones are grabbed by young, dirty hands, and the chase is on. Did you know that a lion can run up to 35 miles per hour? Not that you'd want to chase them. They can jump. They can jump 30 feet, and they weigh in at around 500 pounds on average, filled with the savagery of nature and the ability to survive every other predator. He is called the king of the beast. And you know how this story goes. For most people who come across lions, man sees lion. Lion chases man as man runs away. Lion eats manwich for lunch. <laughs> that, that is science, I'm sure. But David is chasing and stalking the lion who's about to make her fresh kill. Have you ever seen a dog get defensive about their food? What about a lion? And the Bible says that David's approach is simple. If the lion had turned on him, if the lion had turned on him, he struck it with what do you strike a lion? With what foul language and a stick? This is a lion coming after you. But somehow... That's good enough for everybody, okay? And it also says a bear, if a bear. Let me tell you some things about bears. Did you know, did you know that a bear's sense of smell is a hundred times stronger than a bloodhound's? Yeah, I heard one guy put it this way, and I think it's genius. It, Remy, the police officer, if you're in here, I want to change your whole department. Let's get rid of drug dogs and let's get drug bears, okay? Wouldn't that be amazing? Sir, do you have any illegal contacts in the car? No? Get the bear. It's in the back seat. you got to lift the... Th it's in there. Because the bear is coming out, okay? But lions, you know, lions and bears, I just want to give you a quick... I've done some math, pulling together all these statistics. I'm going to show it on your screen. Bears plus lions equals a bad day, all right? I love what David is saying here. I have been through it, man. I've had a lot of bad days. And here's what I want to tell you about your bad days, your bad seasons, your bad weeks, your bad friendships, your bad parents that maybe you've run with. Those bad days are some of your most important days because they will either make you or they will destroy you. And that is when you decide. That is when you decide who you are. 
and whether or not the vision that God has placed on your life is worthy. And I want to tell you, God has placed you here to know him and to tell more people about him. But there are giants standing in front of you and they are defying you. You will not lead your family well. Or maybe they defy you in saying everything is going to keep getting worse. Everything is going to be better. You're going to die. You're going to die meaningless and alone. They're all going to leave you. They're all going to abandon you. And they're just screaming at you. Don't get out of bed today. It's worthless. It's worthless. Find a way to run. There's enough sober people out there. You know what I've always struggled with is that there have been some wonderful preachers in my life who have preached and say your past does not define you. And if you're like me, I've sat in the room when someone said your past doesn't define you, but I'm still sitting in the front row hungover because I was running from something the night before. You do not define you. I've sat in church after leading worship, singing songs about freedom that I could have in Christ and have done so under the complete bondage of not being able to forgive. And today I stand in front of you terrified, still, that this is just going to be another church with more Christians who certainly want more people, but they only want more people so they can be more comfortable on a Sunday morning. And I will not live my life with those giants having full access to my heart anymore But the problem is, I wouldn't be ready. I wouldn't be ready to face a giant had I not been attacked by a bear and not attacked by a lion. Verse uh, 39. Uh, Yeah, verse, verse 39. Saul had tried to say, well, wear my armor. This is how you fight. Like Saul knows he's not willing to face the giant. But you know, Oh, I can't do the fighting, but I'll resource you. I'll write the check. I won't get into the fight, but I'll write the check. David fastened his sword over his tunic, and he tried walking around in them, but he was not used to them. And he said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. I only know how to kill things the way that God has given me. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from a stream, and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Five smooth stones. If you look at uh, 2 Samuel, I don't want to put this on the screen right now, uh, 2 Samuel 21, for those of you who want to look later, we get a list of why he needed five stones. Did David think he was going to miss? No. Uh, we actually believe that Goliath had four brothers, and they were all freaks of nature too. One of them, like Princess Bride style, had six fingers on each side of his hands. My father prepared to die. He was like, well, he came after him. And we know that David eventually had to kill the rest of them. He had a stone for each brother. Bro, how Clint Eastwood is that moment? Clint, I saw that you only put five bullets in your gun. Why? Because I only have five men to kill. If that's not the most baller moment in the Bible, I don't know what is. (laughs) But David's key that he gave me is he says in verses 36 and 37, don't put them up there, the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. 
Hey, it's not that David was an expert at killing things that were crazy. It's not that David was an expert in surviving bad days. What David had was an expertise in perception. I understand that I don't know how to kill a bear or a lion. I was grabbing them by the face. What do I know? I just know that the God of Israel will deliver this guy into my hands. I am an expert at obedience sometimes. And right now is that time. He didn't get up. You know, David, everybody wants to talk about, you know, David is good. And then I'm supposed to say, and you're David too, buddy. That's you. And you just need to, and you're like, I'm good. I'm ready to go. Let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a sling, whatever that is. You're going to take out your Jewish nunchuck and start whipping giants in the head. It's funny. It's not racist. It's totally funny. You got to just roll with me on that one. <laughs> But I'm actually telling you the opposite. I'm telling you, just like Louis said in the book, Goliath must fall. You are not David in this story. Instead, there is a shepherd standing in your valley saying, I will take this giant down. And that is the message that I desperately want to tell to all of Macomb, Michigan, and anyone who will listen to me for the rest of my life. That giant is toast. But if you are only going to talk about your fears and the demands and me saying, oh, depression, oh, depression, it's my depression, it's my depression, then I am doing nothing but elevating a giant. I'm telling you, I'd rather call in the shepherd. Because through Jesus Christ, who endured the worst death, is standing for you to say and saying, I got five stones. Well, I got 20 giants, Jesus. I'll take them all down. I'll take them all down. You just watch. You are terrible at throwing slings. Well, I tried to grab a lion by the reins one time and it bit me. And he's like, that's because you went in there. Let me take down this giant. Let me take it down. If I could lay out David's life like this, he started off as the field pooper scooper. First of all, as a shepherd, chief gopher. He was the eighth kid. Eventually, in his timeline, he was anointed to be king someday. David realized really early on, I am not a kingmaker. Then he becomes a lion chaser, a cheese delivery guy. The king's iPod, because the next job he gets after that, he's allowed to play his guitar every once in a while, his harp. How many bad days did it take to take him and make David a king and a hero? I tell you what, man, it took a long, long process. And it takes a process to get to the promise. It takes a process to get to the promise. People will give up on you, my friend. They will let you down. And you can look at your story and your history and you can say, I've been broken too many times, I've been hurt too many times. I've heard plenty of people say that they love you. Or plenty of people say, you, man, some of you are, are business uh, owners and you have been probably betrayed by a business partner because that just seems how life goes. Maybe you've really believed in somebody and you thought this time they're going to be different and then you still had a black eye the next day. I'm telling you, my friend, 
you can use your entire story as a reason to never believe that any giant is ever getting taken down. Some of you have been betrayed deeper than anyone else in this room can understand. But I tell you this, you can either use that as evidence that there is no point to continue, or you can use that as evidence of you are more than a survivor. You are a lion chaser because you made it here where so many others don't. It takes a process. Our generation overestimates what can be done in the short term and underestimates what can be done in the long term. And the problem is, is for some of us, we think long term is 20 years. Meanwhile, we worship a God that we call the Ancient of Days. Our God promises a new freedom, and we believe that it's only in our lifetimes that he'll keep a promise. There are a few thoughts that David teaches us. There's this wonderful book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by a guy named Mark Batterson. In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day is the sweetest book title ever, by the way. He says this. He says, don't accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. Uh, your experiences, some of them will burn you, but I trust the person with scars on their hands to handle the fire because they know what it's like to make it through. And I want to tell you this about our God. God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where you want to go. Do you trust God with the destination in your life? Do you trust Him enough? And if the answer is no, I feel your pain. I've sat before the Lord and asked many times, how can you let this happen? Why, if you wanted me to lead men and women, if you wanted me to be a dad, why didn't you give me a better dad when I was a kid? If you you wanted me to be a pastor, why, why didn't you put me in healthier churches? See, I'm really good at picking apart God's process. But I wonder, I wonder what would happen if I stopped questioning God in the process, but instead I listen to see if there are any giants yelling at other people. The thing that David never stopped doing was being faithful where he was at. He kept taking care of the sheep, even though he was told, someday I'm going to be king. But when it came time, he listened. And he heard something that nobody else was willing to talk about. Someone is defying my God. And I've seen God take out lions and bears before. You know what? So have I. And if you read the Psalms, almost every Psalm that David writes is written in that rhythm. Let me tell you what it was like facing the worst of my life. The next column over. But I will remember how great you are, God. David is a guy who remembers Some of us want to move so quickly past our past that we are unwilling to see that God was in the midst of it, carrying us, doing more than helping us survive, but helping you, helping you to see that he is ready to take it out. Delight yourself in the Lord for what you've heard and know this, that the best is yet to come. Hold on to the promise and be faithful in the process for his name is great and greatly to be praised. He is not a man that he should lie. He is incapable of it. If you want to know what God is capable of, he is able to get you into the middle of a high school Lutheran gymnasium to a non-denominational church where a guy who really can't hear you unless he's making direct eye contact with you is going to then preach to you and tell you about the 
the sustaining creator of Christ. And some of you have been saved in the middle of a gymnasium that's built for teenagers to sweat in. <laughs> we see crazy things happening constantly. But instead of us making bold moves because we want to see God fulfill vision for this place, there are so many times where we use our past to actually enforce our fears. I've been burned before and I don't want to be burned by a church again. Listen, as long as there's human beings here, we're going to screw up. But I will tell you this, that means that there is a God who is coming and he is saying the giants are already dead. Say my son's name into this world. Say his name and they will quake with fear David at the end of the story he has taken out the giant and he does not stop running in fact he gets faster and he runs over and he pulls out a sword that he's incapable of lifting and he chops his head off and he lifts it up for the world to see I don't want to get past this part guys by the way Philistines you're donezo, Israelites. This has been waiting for you for 40 days. It is time to realize that we are done laying down because our past, because our current haunts will encapsulate us in fear. It is time to stand up. And no visual have I ever seen gives it better than what happened to one girl who had been training her entire life to win a race she felt destined for this moment. And then the worst happened. And she had a decision to make. I wonder what yours will be. Watch this short video. Quickly, but that's gonna cost him. Hey, what is she? What's her injury? Her teammate is 
what you can't really see great in that video is when she fell, the runner next to her stepped on her face with a cleat. Now, I found an article. I tried to find a better quality version of this video, but I found an interview with her, and they asked Heather, and they said, well, what did you do? Like, what was going through your mind? And she says, well, you know, we practice falling, but nothing really prepares you for that. I think that's valid. Okay, we got to get ready for the big meet. Okay, fall down. Step on her face. She has every right to quit. And based on your life, you probably do too. Based on your life, you probably have the right to never, ever trust another human being. You've been lied to before. And if you haven't, <laughs> life is coming. Be careful. If you've never been let down, if you've never had a dream broken, do you still come and sit here because it's the thing to do? Some of you are looking for the next escape right now. Right now, my, my escape is quickly that I just want to be left alone. I want to hit the nearest drive through And meanwhile, there are giants out there taunting this generation. You have the right to lay down. But you have the opportunity to stand up. And not stand up because you've already tried to take out that giant. You've been inspired before. Like, that's it. That's me. Never again. I'm never going to do that again. And that giant just went, yeah, you will. <laughs> Some of you are walking around with scars that you thought you'd never had. You thought, oh, I finally, I married the right person. They were a believer. They believed in Jesus. And you, you saw that fall apart too. Why ever fall in love again? Why ever trust again? Can I just tell you this? As long as you're the one throwing rocks, you'll always miss. Or maybe you'll get lucky and you'll get a good feel-good story, but you and I both know that if you call the shepherd, he is an expert at dealing with predators. The Bible Apostle Paul literally says that Satan, yeah, I literally believe that there's darkness in this world. I believe in it with all my heart that there's darkness in this world. This darkness wants nothing to do but rape, pillage, destroy. He wants to do it to your heart. He wants to do it to your life. And you and I do not have the power to take it down. Oh, is this, Tom, is this when you say if we're just a united church? I've seen united churches miss the mark. Have you? The answer is yeah. You just probably drove by 20 of them on the way to this broken one. My friends, you've also seen some good happen in this world. There are people in this room right now who know what it's like to be 20 years sober. You know that that giant can go down. You can't kill it, but the shepherd can. There's a moment probably in the next 24 hours where you're going to have your next choice. That next giant's going to come its way. The next moment of escape that you're going to want to have. That devilish whisper of anxiety or depression that says stay in bed or nothing is ever going to be okay again. Everything that they said about you is true. Just shut up and just do your thing. Just be small. 
dream small. And meanwhile, the shepherd is saying, I got five stones and I'm ready to take off some heads. Call up the shepherd. Oh, but that's cute. That's cute. No, it's good, Tom. That's good. I haven't heard anybody be so funny with David and Goliath before. Good, good. I'm going to go home now and I'm going to go deal with my real world. And I, can I just tell you right now, I've sat in the room with people who have been healed from cancer. I laid my hands on a man one time and I prayed. And I'm Baptist, so I don't believe in this junk. So when it happened, I was like, whoo. And I prayed and I prayed that his lung cancer would be removed. And lung cancer was gone within the next week. Prayed over a woman who was pregnant with twins. Not only did she have preeclampsia setting in, but she also, it's, it was an imbalance of the amniotic fluid and she was going to lose one of her babies. We said, God, you can restore all things. We prayed over her. We prayed over her, not in a way that we thought our prayer was going to be convincing. We just threw a stone. We trusted that God would do something or he wouldn't. And then she was healed. Caitlin was healed and she's got two little baby girls right now. And you want to know what happened right after those two great miracles? My wife, who's never smoked, got lung cancer. And I had a voice in my head saying, how dare you, God? I don't think I said it like that. Um, I just gave you the clean version of what you do when you find out that your wife didn't deserve to have lung cancer. I'll tell you what my prayer was. You can, and whether you do or not, you are good. God, you break the chain of doubt, of fear, of depression, of anxiety, and I believe you can cut off their head. So in the meanwhile, I will step onto the battlefield, Lord, and I will take my sling, and I will hand it to you. I don't know how to kill a bear or a lion. You take the biblical instructions, start grabbing big things by the head, you're going down, son. But if you handed it to Jesus... And I got to tell you, I prayed this prayer this morning. Jesus, I got to pray this now. And I don't know what this even means. But will you break this off of my mind and off of my heart? And will you take down this doubt? Because it is defying you. So God, whatever it is that defies you right now, we take this next moment as we take communion together. We take this next moment as we take communion together, as we consider this. Well, we just pray and say, through you, Jesus Christ, you take down the evil that lurks onto our hearts. So we are ready. We are ready to see you be the king. We're asking you to send the shepherd. Amen. As we take a few minutes, as we take a few minutes this morning to close the service, to think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, he took the ultimate giant, the giant of sin, the giant of death, and he conquered it. He, he destroyed what he did for us 2,000 years ago. So we're about to take a communion. It's, a, it's what the Hebrews been doing for 2,000 you know, 
Well, along with a nap, 4,000 years now, the celebration of their freedom from Egypt. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the Last Supper, but ideally to put their thanksgiving, to put the way that they thank God for the freedom, for, get, for, the, for the freedom from, from Egypt. But Jesus stood before his disciples at the table and said, guys, I'm going to bring something new, a new covenant. I'm going to change the rule. I'm going to upset the apple cart. Imagine that Thanksgiving, instead of your, you showed up for dinner and instead of turkey, they said, you know, we're going to do something different. Instead of turkey, we're going to have Chinese takeout. Y'all be a little upset. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 I didn't come for the Chinese takeout. And Jesus said, you know what? 2,000 years ago at that last supper, he said, I'm changing the whole thing. The way you've been celebrating Passover, I'm going to change it new, and it's going to be about me and what I did. And of course, we know what he did. He died and won our freedom from death. He won our freedom from sin in the grave. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 16, he, he asked the question, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And that's what we're going to do here today. In our time of communion, we're going to take a cup of grape juice, we're going to take some element of bread and we're going to give thanks. We're going to look upward in the next few minutes. And as you take the element, take those few minutes to just thank God for what he did for you. Thanksgiving, not just a one-time uh, year holiday. We should be living in thanks all year round. But in this moment, we thank God for the sacrifice. But we also during this time, we look inward. We say, God, what am I doing in my life? God, what do I need to let go? God, here's some sins I need to confess. Maybe there's some unconfessed sins. And so while you receive the communion, hold on to it until everyone gets it, take those few minutes, not to look around, not to think about what's happening next. Don't think about what you're gonna have for lunch. Think about inwardly and think upwardly. Think about what he's done and think about your life. 